morning we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 in the time that we have left and we want to talk about conflict so I have a question as we get started how many of you have ever faced conflict with other people raise your hand and how many of you are currently in conflict with someone else raise your hand there we go conflict is uh, something that nobody is immune to every single one of us faces it anytime you put two or more people in a small space together there is bound to be conflict that's going to happen. It's, you just have to count on it. In fact, here's a revelation. Not even Jesus was immune to conflict. And he was perfect. So if Jesus was perfect and he faced conflict, how much more you and I who are imperfect will we face conflict, right? I mean, come on, it's just a fact of life. So the question is not, can I avoid conflict? In fact, I would say, here's my confession. I can look back in my life, all the times I've tried to avoid conflict, there have been a lot of times that by trying to avoid it, I made it worse. Eh? Amen? You been there? Right. So it's like, okay, so avoiding it doesn't help. And But I confess, I don't like it either. So that's, just throw that out there. I'm sure you don't, I think it's kind of a sick person who likes conflict. I've met a few of them and they scare me, just for the record. But at the same time, conflict is a necessary part of life. So is there a way that I can go through conflict without being torn apart? I believe there is. I believe it's possible to turn conflict into careflick. Pardon the cheesy nature of my title. But I think it says something, hopefully you see it, that conflict actually could become caring. That in fact, if we do it the right way, what could come out of it is that you are closer to Jesus, I'm closer to Jesus, that our relationship is knit closer together. If we handle this properly, obviously we have a lot of examples of not handling it properly, and relationships, bridges burned everywhere, bodies strewn. I mean, we, we know conflict can be pretty bad, but is it possible? Do you think maybe there spirit-filled Christian friend that we would have a power known to us that other people don't have that would enable us to actually turn this human issue into something that is really awesome. Amen. So that's Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter. We call this series the Jailhouse Pastor because Paul is writing from jail. Paul bled for this church. He gave up. I mean, he got beat for this church in Philippi. And so obviously he loves this church in Philippi. And he's stuck in jail. He gets a care package from, from the Philippian Christians. And he sends a little note back to say thank you for the care package. You and I call this the letter to the Philippians. It's a thank you note. But as he gets into the end, comes near the end of his note, you just, I can see him struggling with it. Like he's, he's got to say something about these two ladies. And we come to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 2, I'm just going to read 2 through 9, Philippians 4, 2 through 9. He says, I plead, I beg, I urge, I mean, I'm on my knees here. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement 
and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. One of the, I've said this before, one of the reasons why I'm such a big believer in working through a passage of scripture like Philippians is you get to see things in context that you never saw before. My whole life, I grew up, like Brad, I grew up going to church, you know, every day, all day, practically. I know these verses, right? Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, I know that don't be anxious, but prayer. I know finally, you know, but now I see the context. Ah, really comes to a whole new light that I'd never noticed before. So let's start in verse 2. The Apostle Paul introduces us to these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. We don't know who they are exactly, but the text gives us some clues about who they are. Obviously, these ladies are in leadership. Paul calls them his co-workers. Not only are they Paul's co-workers, but they're Clement's co-workers. If you know anything about church history, Clement, I mean, he was not one of the 12 apostles, but Clement became eventually the bishop of the churches in Rome. Clement was one of the early church martyrs. Clement became a hero, literally a giant in the faith in the first century. So Clement's no slouch, okay? Though he's not the Apostle Paul, but he certainly was a well-known, popular, prominent figure in the early church. And Paul says these ladies were not only his co-workers, but they're Clement's co-workers and the other co-workers working right along his side, contending for the cause of the gospel. Anybody that thinks that Paul was a male chauvinist, they haven't read their Bible. Here's Paul clearly speaking very well, very highly of these women. In fact, we know from other passages of Scripture and from church history, if you look at Acts chapter 16, the Philippian church was started by women. The first convert in the city of Philippi was a woman. Her name was Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth, a businesswoman, by the way, a businesswoman named Lydia. Yodi and Syntyche are clearly not visitors to this church. They've been a part of it for a while, and the conflict that they're having has been brewing for a while, and now their conflict is becoming the church's conflict. You see that? And so Paul urges the true companion. That word there, he's referencing the Philippian church there. He's saying, these ladies need to get along, and I'm asking you, my true companion, the church, would you help these ladies to work this thing out? First thing. Another thing you can notice about these ladies is you notice that Paul doesn't tell us who was wrong and who was right. We don't know who started the fight. All, all that matters is there's a fight, and it needs to get resolved. 
that's a key piece when you're dealing with conflict. It really doesn't matter often who's right, who's wrong, how many rights are on my side, how many wrongs are on your side. That's not helpful. The point is, we have a conflict. We need to work this out. That's the idea. And so he doesn't cast blame on Yodia or on Syntyche. It's just these ladies have an issue, and let's work this through. Something else. So what does he say to do? How does he advise the church in taking care of this? Well, he goes into verse 4. He gives us several things that if you apply these things in conflict, it actually turns conflict into careflict. That conflict could be something that would be healing and not dividing in our relationships. Let's see what he says. Verse 4, he goes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. He repeats it. Why? Well, because the rejoicing, joy in this situation is a choice. If you're in conflict with somebody, the temptation is to have a sour spirit. Okay? Right? Sour is the, rules the day. But if I'm focused on maintaining a spirit of joy in this situation, you see how that could flavor our situation that we're dealing with? Now we're not giving in to that sour spirit, but instead we're trying to maintain a joyful spirit, even in this. That's a good thing. And then he comes to verse 5, and he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So that word gentleness is a tough word to translate because in the Bible it gets translated it, you know, it gets used several times, and each time it gets used, it gets translated in a different way. In one verse, gentleness gets translated as gracious. In another verse, gentleness gets, tra this word gets translated as kindness. And then in another verse, this, this word gets translated as patience. So you have gracious, kindness, patience, gentleness. What is this word? It's sort of a a catch-all word, in a sense, right? The best way that I can think of, and maybe you could disagree with me on this, but the best way that I can think of for really what this means is this, that I'm looking out for God's best interest in your life. Gentleness. I'm not making this about me, because this isn't about me. This conflict isn't about me. This conflict is about how do we bring honor and glory to Jesus in our relationships. See? not about me. But is it my temptation to make it all about me? I mean, let's face it. Anytime there's a conflict, hey, it's we're having a conflict because you're a jerk. I mean, that's the simple story. <laughs> Obviously, I'm just like Jesus. So, uh, you know, it's not my fault, right? So this conflict is not about me. It's not about all the ways you wronged me. Lay that aside. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. So it's about, it's about What's Jesus doing in this relationship? What's God's best for you in this? And then he reminds us, the Lord is near. I love that little tag. Don't forget that little tag. The Lord is near. In other words, Jesus is right here. So Jesus is present. And so what is he doing in this relationship? You, you see in how this goes together? We're maintaining a spirit of joy, not sour. We're interested in God's best for one another. Over the years, I've found, uh, you know, I get in lots of conflicts, it seems.
and never my fault, but I did and lots of them. And one of the things I found over the years that, that I say at the end of those conversations that you have that are tense conversations is, and I, I mean it, I'm not just saying it to say it, but I love you, number one. And then number two, I truly want God's best for you. And I mean that, you know. That's gentleness. That's approaching this with gentleness. I want God's best for you. And then anxiety. Tell me, does conflict not cause anxiety? Hello. So now suddenly this verse that I've always thought, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request. I'm like, I've had this verse memorized for years, and I've used it and applied it in lots of other ways, but I'm seeing this in context, and oh, it makes perfect sense. Conflict always creates anxiety. And how do two anxious people approach one another in conflict? Does it help? Not at all, does it? So, so, here's the so here's what we do. You each go back to your corner of the boxing ring, and you get this straight with God, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but what does he say? Pray. With prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Three words. Prayer the Greek word implies things that I want. Petition, the Greek word implies things that I need. So I ask God for things I want. I ask God for things I need. That makes perfect sense. He's my dad. I mean, my kids ask me for stuff all the time. And so it's perfectly appropriate to take my wants and my needs to my Heavenly Father. But I do that with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving flavors my prayer. I don't go to God because somehow I feel that God gypped me or that I feel that God owes me something. No, he has provided for me. He has abundantly, I mean, he's poured out blessings in my life. I'm so thankful for all that God has given to me. That attitude, that spirit is what I come into prayer with. So that brings me to, you know, it's just a simple childlike, God, I'm just trusting you with this. And Lord, here's my anxiety, and I don't like that anxious feeling, God. I give this anxiety to you. And you see what God does? God turns my prayer into peace. He doesn't necessarily turn my anxiety into peace. He turns my prayer into peace. Do not be anxious. Follow the flow of thought. Anxiety. Here's anxiety. I have it. I pray. And then God gives peace and he guards my heart with peace so I don't turn anxiety into peace I turn anxiety into prayer and God turns that into peace cool so then my heart's at peace your heart's at peace we're not coming at each other with this anxiety between us just piece all this together I keep going back to the beginning but it's so beautiful we're maintaining a spirit of joy not sour we are in this for each other. What's God doing? I want God's best in your life. You want God's best in my life, right? We are taking care of anxiety. We're, we're bringing that to God. He's flooding us with peace. And now you and I are really getting set up here to take this conflict, this thing that could be ugly, and to turn it into something that's really beautiful. 
And then what do we do next? Well, the temptation in conflict is um, to, you know, make the list of all the reasons why I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, my temptation is to assassinate your character. You're obviously, the reason why we're in this is because you're just a sinner and you're filthy and rotten and if you just got right with Jesus, we'd be okay, right? No. Verse 8 says, whatever is noble, whatever's pure, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, those are the things you think about. Don't think about all the rotten things, although that's the temptation. I mean, let's be honest, it is, correct? The temptation is to build my case, and man, I want to list all of your rotten qualities. Resist that temptation. Whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, excellent, think on these things. Now, what does that look like practically? I just want to, I feel like it's important to kind of park on this just for a second. Because it doesn't mean that you don't admit that there's a, a wrong that's been done. What it means is that you refuse to assassinate the other person's character. I'll illustrate it this way. In a lot of counseling that I've done over the years, you know, people deal with wounds that have been inflicted on their souls by their parents all the time. It's a shocking reality, but nobody has perfect parents. And in, in fact, it was really freeing to me a few years ago when I realized not even Jesus had perfect parents. Somehow he survived it. So I think I can too. That's encouraging. But but one of the but we kind of tend to go to two extremes. When when I when I reach a certain point in my life when I recognize that my parents blew it. And guess what? All of us had parents that blew it. Okay, there's just deal with it. We all have. I'm a parent. I've blown it, right? When we realize that, we can go one of two extremes. One extreme is we assassinate their character. Man, he's a jerk. He's a this. He's a that. He's a da, 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 which is dishonoring to our parents. But some people, in an attempt to not dishonor their parents because they love their parents, they go the opposite extreme and they hide their parents' sin. Oh, my dad was wonderful. Wait a second, he beat you, he molested you. He, I mean, that doesn't add up, right? My mother was great. She was a perfect mom. Well, no, wait a second. She manipulated you with her emotions, and she called you names, and she, I mean, come on. Well, you can't, let's not hide the truth. So then what do I do? Somehow I have to be able to admit the truth of what happened without assassinating their character right? And that's what he's talking about. If there's a crime, if there's a wrong, if there's a conflict between the two of us, it's perfectly okay to say, look, here's where we went wrong. Here's here's the wrong that was done. That's different than saying you're rotten and you're terrible and you're bad and you're a witch and you're all this. You hear the difference. So So it doesn't help to hide, you know, bury your head in the sand and just pretend like nothing wrong ever happened. That doesn't help. And it doesn't help to assassinate the person's character. Let's deal with this in truth. And as we do, verse 8 says, whatever's lovely, whatever's noble, whatever's excellent, praiseworthy, about that person, think about that. Think about those things. This person is a person made in the image of God. 
they've got many great qualities. Let's let's hang on those and not just the wrong that was done. You see where this goes? Let me back up again. I keep repeating it, but it's got to drive it home. So we hit a conflict. We maintain a spirit of joy, not doubt. We come into this thing looking out for each other's best interests because Jesus is here. I want God's best for you. We are dealing with our own anxiety. You don't take care of my anxiety. I can't take care of yours. Only God can do that. So you get to your corner, you get to prayer, and you give that to him so that he guards your heart with peace. We're refusing to assassinate one another's character. I'm refusing to bring out all the rotten things that you are, right? Instead, I want to praise who God has made you to be, who you are. And I want to deal honestly with the wrong that's been done, not the person. Do you see this kind of behavior lived out for us anywhere in our world? I mean, you sure don't see it in politics. You don't see it in business. And sadly, you rarely see it in the church. True? I mean, I'm not putting us down, actually, because obviously I'm part of the church. So, I, But I mean, we rarely see it in the church, even. And one of the things that... Uh, one of the things that I noticed in verse um, verse 2 and 3 there when Paul talks about Yodia and Syntyche is you notice one of the pieces of advice that Paul does not give to them? He does not say, and uh, why don't one of you just go to the Baptist church in town? Isn't that fascinating? Well, you go, well, of course not. There was only one church in Philippi at the time, so they didn't have any choices. Well, they could have split. Paul could have said, yeah, why don't you just split the church in half, and now we got two churches in Philippi. Has that not happened many times down through the ages, my friend? Right. I just speak pastorally for a second. For the record, I happen to love the diversity of the church of Jesus Christ. I love the fact, I think it's actually a good thing that we have the Nazarene Church and New River and River of Life and the Baptist Church. I happen to believe it's a good thing, not a bad thing because there's no one local church that can really meet all the needs of an area. I mean, we're, you know, New River is not God's gift to Connecticut, let's face it. But God uses New River. He uses us. We have our own niche that God uses us in, and that's awesome. So that's the good part of it. But the bad part of it is when there's conflict between people in a church, it's way too easy to just cut and run. And that actually does damage to the church as a whole. Because now we have people who aren't getting along. They're just hiding out in different sanctuaries on a Sunday morning. It's pathetic. So Paul says, you got to work this thing out, man. you got to work it out. And then in verse 9, he comes to the end, and he says this. I love this. This is very convicting to me. Paul says, so whatever you have, whatever you have heard from me, whatever you've received from me, Whatever you've heard me say, whatever you've seen in me, just, just do what I do. Basically, Paul goes, just follow my example, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, there's a part of me that goes, wow, Paul, that is pretty uh, bold to make that kind of statement. And I honestly would stand before you here this morning and say, I don't know that I'm going to make that statement to you. You just do what I do, and everything will be okay. 
Doug Rouse hasn't got the conflict thing figured out yet, okay, just so you know. But I look at Paul's life, and I'm very comforted by this fact, that you can see growth in Paul's life. Early on in Paul's ministry, Paul had a huge fight with Barnabas over a young man named John Mark. Big fight. In fact, they parted ways. That kind of big fight. But then, as we're going to see, we're going we're getting in Colossians next in another you know, month or so. As we get into that, Paul makes mention of John Mark. And you see here at the end of his life, we come to the end of his life, and you see the softening. He actually repents from that. And he comes to a point where he realizes he was a bonehead with Barnabas all those years ago. And he, I mean, that's not in the Bible, of course. You get that. That's not the Greek word. This is the Doug Rouse version. But he was a bonehead, and he repents from that. And towards his later life, he softens up, and he recognizes the value that John Mark had and that he was wrong. So I take comfort in that, that Paul, even Paul, had growth. And by the time he comes to the end of his life here, Philippians is written near the end of his life. As he comes here, Paul is finally able to say, okay, guys, just do what I do. I figured this out. I, I got beat up a few times, and I got softened up over the years, but I think I got this now. Do what I do, and the peace of God will rule in your heart. Wow. And that's because this. I happen to believe that the Church of Jesus is the absolute only place on planet Earth where, what, where this can get lived out not going to happen at your work. It's not going to happen at the Scouts. It's not going to happen at school. It's not going to happen anywhere because what's required for this is the Holy Spirit. Is for, is for men and women, young people to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. He's the only one who's able to make, to bring us to this place where we could actually function in this way. But do you see the amazing testimony that could come out of this? that God's people are the only ones on the planet who could actually display to the planet how to take a conflict and not let it rip you to shreds, but actually turn it into a careflict and make it something where healing could happen and growth could take place. We're the only ones who could display that on this planet. The only ones. And so even though every one of us has blown it numerous times, boy, my friends, the hope is, can we pursue this as a community? One of the things that you're going to discover in your life group is conflicts happen with life groups. And I don't say that to scare you, but it's just the truth. It's a fact. And it makes sense. Put 10, 12, 15 people in a living room together week after week. <laughs> Somebody's bound to say something or do something that offends somebody else. I mean, just count on it. It's going to happen. Like Brad said, we come here, everything's wonderful, but, you know, a life group, you tend to get a little more real. That's when the warts come out, and the conflict happens. And I've seen it both ways in my experience. At times, I've not handled it well, and I've actually seen life groups torn apart over it. And then other times, I've, I've witnessed it done well, and seen life groups be stronger, better, become forged, out these principles. So the challenge to you and me is a couple of ways. I just, Chris, you want to come and, and uh, Eric come and begin to lead us here in our closing song.
but um, so some of you, uh, by your own hands, by your own admission, said, I'm in conflict right now. So how does God, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you from Philippians chapter 4 about what you can do to turn that into a prayerful? giving you some great direction in this word to apply it. Some of us also, if you're like me as well, you can say, you know, recently I've had conflict and I haven't dealt with it in a very healthy way. I'm not encouraging you to go open up some can of worms and make it all ugly again. Don't, don't bring out the ugly anymore, okay? But what I would encourage you to do is It'd be worthwhile going back to that person and just simply saying, you know, I, uh, I didn't really handle that so well. Could you forgive me? And next time it happens, let's go through this the right way. That, that's appropriate. You don't have to drag out all the junk in it again. But just, just simply acknowledge that, you know, in your past conversations, eh, it wasn't the best. And uh, you are trusting Jesus to enable you to do it better. So if you'd like to receive prayer, our prayer team will be here. We'd love to pray together with you about this. And uh, at the very least, let's commit ourselves to being the people of God and to acting like it, even when we face conflict. So would you stand with me and let's sing. And as we sing, the altar's open and our prayer team is here. We pray with you if you'd like to receive